0: Hi there, my name is uh, Paul. I'm one of the pastors here at King's and it is great to be uh, looking at the Word of God uh, with you today. Um, I hope I find you well. I hope I find you uh, in good heart at this time. And this morning I'm going to be looking at the whole subject of walking with God um, in suffering, but also in opportunity. And uh, Sam shared, I thought excellently, last week on the whole subject Um, of suffering and that whole area but I I just got a real sense in God that I want to uh, take a particular account in the book of Acts which is in the Bible and unpack it for us and I feel it has significance at a number of levels. Firstly I think it's going to show us something of who God is and to be quite honest getting a fresh glimpse of God is always good. The next thing, I think, is that it has um, pastoral significance for us. It, it will come, hopefully, and bring an encouragement and a strength to us. And then thirdly, I believe there is a prophetic edge for us as well. I, I believe that there is something that God wants to speak to us um, as a church. He, I'm sure, actually, that he wants to speak to you personally through this word, but I think there is a corporate message in it as well. So, if I'm honest, I woke up this morning quite excited to be able to look at this word um, with you two, look at the Word of God together. So, if you've got your Bibles, turn to um, I think it's Acts chapter six. We're going to get there um, in, in a few moments' time. But, but, but to get there and to understand what's going on, we need to understand the context. And the Book of Acts is all about the story of the early church and how how the uh, how how after Jesus died, how the early church got going and the work. of the Holy Spirit within the early church now it starts in Jerusalem at the very beginning of Acts there's only 120 followers of Jesus left there aren't many they're hiding they're cowering in an upper room and the Holy Spirit gets wonderfully poured out upon them and absolutely transforms them. Numerically, they go from 120 in a day right up to 3,000. But it's not just that numbers get added in, the quality of their life together is amazing. Um, they, they have power, they have courage, they love each other deeply, there are amazing expressions of generosity. Um, daily get, people get added into their number So that later on in Acts, just before this account, this story that we're going to look at, there are 5,000 or over 5,000 in the church. It it was an amazing time of God's favour and blessing on the church in Jerusalem. I mean, as a pastor, I would love to have been there, even just for a few days, to experience what life was like in that early church. And I'm sure many of you would also want to join me if sort of train tickets there um, existed. But, but it, it, it doesn't last, it, it doesn't last in that way for that long. And we're, we're going to be looking at this account that I've split, as it were, into four scenes, four, four acts. And as we follow this story through, I'm going to just share one, one, one thing from it that I feel we can learn as a church uh, through what we find here in this, in this letter. So the first, the first scene I've entitled Tragedy, it's, it's based around one person. It's based around a man called Stephen, who was, who was, to be quite honest, an absolutely great guy from what we can tell uh, reading the book of Acts. He, he was quite a new Christian, but, but he, was, he was mature with it. He was full of wisdom. He was full of the Holy Spirit, he was powerful in miracles, he, he was powerful in words, he was, he was a great guy as well, he looked after widows, I mean sort of the all-round amazing guy. But the religious establishment, the, the Pharisees in Jerusalem, like, they got massively jealous of him. They put on a sham trial and what we're about to read is the end of the sham trial in Acts chapter 7 um, verse 54. It it ends badly. It's, it's horrific. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. So this is the religious establishment, this sham trial with Stephen on trial. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. When they talk about someone being stoned, they're talking about picking up rocks and throwing them at a person until they die. This is what they did to Stephen outside the walls of Jerusalem. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, this is Stephen, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I mean, this is oh, incredible. This is not natural. This is not normal. This is, this is Holy Spirit empowered. As Stephen is taking his last breath, he is forgiving the people that are killing him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Often in the New Testament, when people die, It's described as falling asleep because for the Christian, death is not the end. Our our physical body, often broken and and, and, and marred when we get old, maybe doesn't work properly. That, That stops. But our soul, our spirit goes to be with Jesus. That is the hope. That is the hope of the gospel. And I just want to point out one thing to you from scene one that we're looking at. In the midst of this personal tragedy, where this this exceptional young man is murdered, God is on his throne and Jesus is stood at his right hand. Behold, Stephen said, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What Stephen got at the most difficult moment of his life, was a glimpse of God enthroned. It was a glim- glimpse of God in his glory and Jesus at his right hand. In the midst of this tragedy and we're thinking, I imagine family and friends thought this is so wrong. Why, why have we lost Stephen? Why has he gone? But we see even in the midst of that turmoil that God is still sovereign. He's still in control of events. I imagine they had big why questions as to why it had happened. Maybe maybe they lived with some of those for many, many years or maybe all the years of their earthly lives. I don't know. But what we see very clearly from this passage is that God is still sovereign. And the promises of God still hold firm they still hold true they are unshakable even in the midst of difficulty and you may have been shaken loads by this COVID crisis God is still on his throne I, I say this carefully but it is true God is still on his throne his promises hold true for you as much now as when things are good and even in the midst of it, it's not that the, the church was unaffected by Stephen's death, we're going to read it in a minute, but we find that, that, that people, uh, they, it says that they buried Stephen and they made great lamentation over him. They, they, they mourned his loss. There was a real loss, but in the middle of it, knowing that God was, was on his throne. As the curtains close on scene one and scene two opens, we, we don't fi- find any let up. We don't find things getting easier. In actual fact, we find things getting worse. We find scene two opens and it's suffering. And in Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it says this, and Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church. Now, when the Bible uses words like great, it, it, it means that. It's it was a terrible persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So that would have been over 5,000 people scattered, just just went because, because the persecution was so fierce against them. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and he committed them to prison. Later on in Saul's life, he describes these events and he actually said he killed Christians um, at that time. And so this this was no longer just a personal tragedy um, around Stephen and maybe family and friends that knew him. This went church-wide. God still sat on his throne, Jesus at his right hand. But even as that happened, something amazing like the church at Jerusalem that I described earlier was being dismantled. This 5,000 people, which would have been incredible to have been part of, was slowly getting taken apart as people scattered and went out right across Judea and Samaria. They are running for their lives. And it would never be the same again, the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. I mean, they did regather, and there would have been something there. But they probably never again had the freedom to meet in the temple courts like they used to do at the beginning, where maybe hundreds and hundreds would have gathered to hear about Jesus. They would never have been able to do that again. And in in many ways, I wonder if on the back of this COVID crisis, kings will never be the same again. We're going to be different. After nine months of lockdown, you are different. Maybe your family is different, but we as a church will be. There there will be things that that won't be the same even when we can regather together. And and I'm praying and I want to encourage you to pray for the day when this COVID crisis is over and we're able to regather and rather than me standing in this auditorium with six other people, five other people, there will be hundreds of us. And, and, and over um, at Bexhill College, there will be hundreds of worshippers um, worshipping God. We must pray for that. But, but even when we are like that, when we are back together, I think it will be different. And, and God isn't phased when things get shaken up, when his church gets shaken up. And even good things at times, God wants to change and bring to an end. So as the, as the scene closes on... On, on scene two and the curtains open on scene three, what, what do we find there? Does it get worse? Actually, it focuses back again on a personal story. It focuses back on the story of Philip. And we've seen in, we see in scene three opportunity in the midst of suffering and in the midst of difficulty. So in Acts chapter eight, verse four, it says this. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out, of many who had them, and many who were paralysed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. From a seedbed of tragedy and suffering God created opportunity. From sorrow and pain in Jerusalem, there was much joy in the city in Samaria. And Philip was a a, a friend of Stephen's. He would have worked with Stephen. He was one of the seven deacons who was set aside to look after the widows in Jerusalem. He, he He would have probably experienced all the pain and the loss. Maybe he was one of those men that buried Stephen. But out of pain and sorrow came opportunity. Out of difficulty came opportunity. And I believe in our day at this time, there are some wonderful kingdom opportunities for us. I want to ask you, Are your eyes open? Are your faith eyes open for what God is doing among you? Are you able to see them if they appear or or, or would you miss them? Philip, in the midst of sorrow and grief, was still able to see what God was doing. And I imagine that within him... There maybe were nights where he mourned the loss of his friend and yet in the daytime there is great joy in the city as God did some wonderful things. I think that can be a way of the kingdom. It's not that the joy replaced the sorrow, it's like within the heart of Philip both joy and sorrow existed and often the kingdom can be a little bit like that. Don't allow today's difficulties To rob you of God's opportunities. Because they're around us. Do you have faith? Do you have eyes to see what God is doing? And then as the curtains close on scene three, looking briefly at Philip and the opportunities that existed for him personally, we have to wait a few chapters. We probably have to wait a few years in reality. But we see some unexpected results. If you remember, and some of you will know this, others of you won't, if you go right back to the beginning of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus said that his early disciples would be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now the reality is up until the persecution of Stephen and the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, they'd only really been witnesses in Jerusalem. They hadn't. They hadn't travelled much further than that. But on the back of this tragic set of events, they were actually thrust out to be witnesses in a much broader harvest field than they were before. We've already read how Philip went to Samaria and that many others, I guess 5,000 others, went out into Samaria and Judea. But in actual fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we find they went further still than that the story continues. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. They they, they were the Greeks, they were the non-Jews, preaching the Lord Jesus. And 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 in the end, you'll notice that that so often in these chapters of Acts, all they're doing is talking about what Jesus Christ has done for them. Just saying their, their story of what Jesus has done. And I love this phrase, and the hand of the Lord was with them. How cool. God's hand was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. This wasn't a strategic move. This wasn't the 12 apostles together working out how are we going to get into the Greek-speaking world. I know, let's send a church planting team up to Antioch. No, this was just a load of people who got scattered because of the persecution. They just went up there, started talking about Jesus and something that looked a bit like church started. When the apostles heard in Jerusalem they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. What we find is out of the midst of this difficulty, this persecution, this suffering, not only personal opportunity, but we also find God did some amazing things that 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 were above and beyond anything the church leaders expected, planned or tried to make happen for themselves. A church got established in Antioch, which would become a hub, a base for church planting in Turkey and Greece and Italy. It would be an amazing blessing when it came to mission and kingdom expansion right the way round the edge of the Mediterranean. And that wasn't planned by the church leadership. God, in his sovereignty, took normal believers just like me and you and Eustus, used, used as we went out in our normal days, they went up to Antioch and started talking about Jesus, and the hand of God was with them. I wonder if, in this present COVID crisis, whether God may have some of that sort of stuff planned for us. I wonder if we may find not only personal opportunity to step out in faith for God, but also kingdom-expanding opportunity. Who knows? Maybe we'll even find projects or plants or venues or even churches started that we don't really know anything about now. But something of the COVID crisis and something of how we've been forced to do church now brings life in a way that we just had not expected it. In the midst of tragedy and suffering, we find God on his throne Questionnaire and Tamara, could you come, uh, come back and join me? Would that be all right? We haven't quite planned this bit, so we'll sort of see how it goes. Out of tragedy and suffering, we find God on his throne, and he still is right now. In the midst of tragedy and suffering we find moments of great opportunity. And I pray, I pray that even this week you will have opportunity, you have moments of opportunity, maybe to witness about Jesus, maybe to express love or kindness or generosity in a different way. And, and out of moments of tragedy and suffering, we see unexpected growth. What the enemy meant for harm... God was able to turn for good. And so as we navigate our way through, and I think the worship and the meeting so far has been so affirming of God being on his throne and God being in charge and and us being able to rely on him. And it's right that we come and we draw hope and we draw strength from him at this time. But not so that we hunker down, not that we think, well, if I just try, maybe I'll survive. But no, as his people, as we look to endure and maybe with tears, and maybe with mourning, maybe grieving, maybe there's some that you know that you have lost at this terrible time. Also, starting to glimpse and think, actually, maybe there's also opportunity. Maybe, maybe God can do something in a way that I never expected. Maybe God wants to use me or use you at this time of opportunity. Maybe God wants to start new communities of faith who love him, who make disciples who go on mission, who reach people who don't yet know Jesus. I'm just going to pray. And then I'm just going to ask Janair and Tamara just to lead us in a song by by which we can respond. Um, I know sometimes when we worship in our front rooms or kitchens or whatever, it can be a little bit different. Don't allow that to put you off. You and God together. This is where you can do some business with him. Lord, I... I just want to come, we come, and we invite you to come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for those that are in mourning right now, that they would be comforted. That's a promise of uh, Matthew. I pray, Lord God, for those that are struggling right now, for seeds of faith to come and bring life. I pray for us as a community, as a church, as we're spread across 1066 country. Lord, I pray that we will be stronger on the back of this. That we know you better from your word. We know you closer through worship. We'll have learnt what it is to battle through in prayer. We'll have opened up in witness. Lord God, I pray maybe, maybe even projects, venues, Meetings or churches could be planted on the back of this and we'll look back in a few years' time and be able to see where you brought growth and life in the midst of difficulty and turmoil. I pray for that in your precious name, Jesus.